I'm reading from 1 Peter, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. It's very, very timely that we should be thinking about leaders and pastors, uh, bearing in mind we started this series way back in September at the beginning, and here we are. This is the conclusion of that series. And it is a word in season for all of us as we think about the future. Uh, a strange, perhaps, uh, title that we have, which is Impacting Others Through Humility. Oftentimes, our impact on other people isn't fully appreciated as God, in His grace, works in our lives. So we're looking at 1 Peter 5, 1 to 11, and this is the conclusion of our series. Uh, many of us have already considered this in the home group, and I was asking our home group to help me to try to shape uh, a sermon. So I'm grateful to them for some of their thoughts. It's good to have feedback in, in two ways. So the issue is leadership. And around the world there is, in the opinion of lots of people, in the secular and sacred world, in business, in politics, in education, in the medical sphere, uh, a leadership crisis. And there is constantly uh, a sense of cynicism about government, about church. How would you feel today if you're a member of the Methodist Church when you have a role model like the Reverend Paul Flowers? 
quite disconcerting, isn't it? Often when leadership is discredited by deceit, self-interest, sleaze, arrogance, the abuse of power. But what Peter does is quite refreshing. It's an altogether different approach. That's what I want us to uh, pursue this morning. As he brings this letter of encouragement to a conclusion, he issues to leaders in particular, but not exclusively, and to the whole church in general, a challenge. In fact, let's zero down very quickly on three specific challenges. This sermon is a very practical sermon. It's all about what it means more than what it says. And the application is in my face and yours. The only thing that will trouble you is not that you don't understand it, is are you willing to take it? That's the issue of a sermon like this. So number one, and you look at verse two, for example, as we say, if you keep your Bible open in front of you, that would help, that the first challenge is that of, and it's interesting, the whole issue begins with attitudes. An attitude of willingness. Look at verse 2 and think about it very carefully. Be shepherds of God's flock. This is particular to elders and leaders and pastors. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you are willing. It's possible to do things grudgingly in church life. So it's an attitude of willingness, and the willingness zeroes on our willingness to give. How willing are we in our busy lives to give ourselves? Sorry, it's not an appeal for money. We have given remarkably, quite humbling to think of where we are as we've heard about the building. But it's also this issue of giving of ourselves. Now, I was on holiday about three years ago. I picked up the book, The Diary of Anne Franks. I hope you've, you've read. It's very inspiring and moving. And in the course of uh, that family trying to take refuge from... Uh, the, the Nazis, and subsequently they end up in Auschwitz and perish there. Her diary survived. And she says this, No one has ever become poor by giving. I wonder if we believe that. I tell you the converse is, is true. Lots of people have been impoverished by not giving, by holding ourselves back. Interesting it should come from her. There it is. No one has ever become poor by giving. It's a spirit of willingness, an attitude of willingness. That's the first. The second, as you see, is an attitude of submissiveness. That's been the, the sub-theme throughout 1 Peter about being submissive. It cuts right against the whole of our society. Assert yourself. Here it says, submit yourself. It's a counterculture thing. And so, young men... In the same way, be submissive to those who are older. The word for uh, at home with parents at church and at school, uh, where one generation overlaps with another. But then all of you clothe yourselves with uh, humility. And then, if, if the first is to do with giving, willingness to give, the second, surely, in terms of submissiveness, is serving. I'm among you, says Jesus, as one who serves. Don't hold back. Serving. 
And then the last and the third is this in, in, in 8 to 9, um, an attitude of alertness. You see in verse 8, be self-controlled and alert. All that I've done in those three is to borrow three words and to apply them. They're not mine, they're straight from that reference there. An attitude of willingness, submissiveness and alertness. And there it is among the most mature, the shepherds, hopefully they are, the shepherds and the elders, it's this. You're never too old to learn. It's about learning together in the drama, in the pilgrimage of life. Pity the person who has arrived. So, verse 3, you have it there. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples. Learners as people watch leaders and listen to leaders. Well, there, there you are, have it. Those are the three uh, things that are highlighted here. What, what came to me in the preparation of this sermon was quite a surprise, and it's this. And I want to give you this to think about. That this is almost sort of autobiographical with Peter. He's looking back over his life and he's saying, yet I'm talking to people now. And think about my experience, my highs and lows, my failures, the way that I so terribly failed publicly. It's a series of three flashbacks from his life. I wonder if you were to do that, thinking about your life, and look back at times like that. Well, that's what we're going to do with this sermon. So it's very practical, but it's very personal. Number one, as we think about Peter shares out of his experience, this is not so much a sermon, but a, a, an opening of his heart, a sharing. The first then, be willing. Be willing. Verses one to four. It's primarily to pastors, for sure, um, but it includes us all. You can be pastoral in the way that you relate to people, even if you're not a leader. So the term is used, in, uh, whether it's a shepherd, or a bishop, or an overseer, or an elder. There was a time in Peter's life when he wanted to be first, it was his motivation, and he admits that. You can read the gospel accounts. He wanted to be a top dog. And he thought that he had the credentials more than anybody else. Though others will say, I won't. I'm made of different stuff. That type of thing. But now he speaks. Isn't it interesting? He could have told Rank, he could say, you know, I'm an apostle. I saw the Lord. I was with him. How did he start? To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. That's why we use the, the, the heading here, impacting others through humility. Be willing. Fellow elder. The power struggle in Peter's life is eclipsed by the glory of Christ. Do you see it? Look, again, I appeal to you as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who will share in the glory to be revealed. His self-importance is now eclipsed by the glory of Jesus Christ. Put it like this, as Peter is thinking about his life. A fragile ego will have an obscured vision of the glory of God. We just don't see it. We don't see it. We see ourselves, see our needs, we see what we think and we say, but to see the glory of God, and, and it's in that journey of life that the Lord deals with this fragile ego of this apostle. 
And as a consequence, there is now a willingness to give. A willingness to give. Notice this. This is not about ability. Now, we, we are here this morning and it's obvious and we know in church life some people are incredibly able. They've got remarkable gifts. Others less so. That's not the issue. It's not about our ability, how we compare people. No. It's about our availability, how willing we are. You see the difference? Not my ability. I can't do it. I'm available. I'm willing to do it. There's a world of difference, isn't there? And so you see, again in verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as always. Not because you must. Not doing it grudgingly. But because you are willing, as God wants me to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. And again, I suppose if we were to think about uh, the Reverend Paul Flowers and, and how that confirms people's cynicism about the church that's full of hypocrites. We need to try to take this to heart. It's a word for the whole church and it's a specific word for leaders. Be shepherds. There's an illustration which uh, is about at least 15 if not 20 years ago when Hannah and I were in the Lake District on the holiday. It's a beautiful place to have a holiday. And we were walk, climbing to Helvellyn. It's 950 meters above sea level. And we were with Hannah's sister and brother-in-law. As we were making our way up, we, I saw, we saw this sheep bleating in a crag. Vulnerable sheep. And we thought, oh, that's terrible. So on our way down, we looked for the sheep uh, farmer and reported him. He said, you know, you're the fifth person that's told us that. Um, and I said, so it must be difficult. No, he said, it's not difficult. What are you going to do? He said, I'm not going to do anything. You see, if I now go down to that crag and try to rescue that sheep while it's still lively, it's going to jump to its death. What I'm going to do is to wait until it is utterly exhausted and then I'll be able to rescue it and winch it back. Now, to a superficial townie, if you like, that seems terribly cruel and unkind and indifferent. But to an informed shepherd who knows his sheep, well, it's all the difference. Do you remember the time when Jesus seemed to deliberately delay in going to the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus has died and she says, look, why didn't you come? If you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. And he says, but this is for the glory of God. There's a bigger canvas. And sometimes our criticism is unfair and unkind and untrue. Not always, but sometimes. Or uninformed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Be willing. Secondly, be humble. Look at 5 to 7. Now, this is a follow-on from verses 2 and 3. In other words, healthy attitudes lead to healthy actions. Unhealthy attitudes lead to unhealthy actions. Why do I say that? Well, look again. Just try to get into this text. Um, and look at verses 2 and 3 again. Right? Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Not like that. Do you see it? Not because you must, or if you like, let me put the words in, not grudgingly. 
Not like that. But because you're willing, like this. Do you see what he's doing? And look again, as God wants you to be, not lording it over others entrusted to you, pulling rank. No, not like that, but like this, being an example to the flock. Do you see he gives those series of three negatives and three positives? Not that way, this way. I was trying to think about this, and I remember when we were young at home, and in those days people dressed to go to church. In our house we had um, five white shirts uh, starched with ties. And we had to, the only time on Sunday was when we polished our shoes. And I can remember my father saying to us, now I want you to polish your shoes. And he could do it much better. But he said, no, I'll do one and you do the Watch me. Then you do it. That's what we need to be like. You know, sometimes for the children we say, I'll do it for you. We are run ragged by doing it for our children rather than with our children. And that's the sort of thing here. Doing it together. Learning together. One generation. Do you see, you have it there. The young and the old. The experienced, the inexperienced. The overlap. So this challenge is be humble. It's a follow-on from that. Not like that, but like this. The negative linked to the positive all the time. No, people say to you, don't be negative. Well, I hope you're not negative all the time. There is a place for that. But also to be positive. That's what Peter is doing here. And isn't that very important with young people? They haven't lived long enough. And, and that overlap of experience, doing things with them, not simply for them, Helping them to learn from them, uh, uh, of themselves and yet giving them encouragement. And you see, verse 5 is our second flashback. The first was learning, Peter learning to be the, the shepherd. The second is, and um, it's the account, come with me then into the upper room. It's the Passover. Actually, it's a lovely meal. And they're all not sitting at the table like we would do, but reclining as they do today. And... The conversation's good. Food and the wine is nice. Jesus gets up and uh, goes to the other part of the, of the room and takes off his coat or whatever he had and puts a towel around him and then goes from, from person to person and embarrasses the disciples. He, he, he starts to wash their feet. Alice, what's this about? is the lowest job of all. They wouldn't even think about that. They wouldn't touch people with a barge pole to do that. Yet Jesus would do it. What's this about? And come to Peter and says, no, look, you're not going to do mine. No way you're going to do mine. And Jesus says, if I don't, you have no part with me. Then do all of me, he says. That's the type of character that he was. And he's learning humility. You can't go on a course for humility. It doesn't work like that. It's on the anvil of experience. And it's a flashback to the upper room. And then Jesus says, as a conclusion to that, I have given you a lesson that you learn. Now you go and do it. You do it. True humility, true humility, is not thinking poor of ourselves. It's not that. True humility is not thinking of ourselves at all. True humility is saying, you know, it's all about him. It's something we're not conscious of. It's difficult to define, but it's easy to recognize. As if Jesus says to them in the Nike symbol, just do it. Just do it. 
Notice verse 5 comes with two things. It comes with a warning and a promise. It's a very salutary warning. Look at verse 5. Which, which as you see, is, is a quotation from the book of Proverbs. God opposes the proud. God doesn't like pride. He's against it. But he gives grace to the humble. Is he giving you grace? He opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Just think that God is opposing you. You would want to say, surely, God forbid. He gives grace to the humble. So, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he might lift you in due time. Let him. You don't need to manipulate. don't need to orchestrate. Let him do that. Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. A warning and a promise. And lastly, we're to be willing, we're to be humble, and we are to be alert. Stay alert. That's what, he, that's what we have in verse 8. Do you see it there? Be alert. Stay awake. Peter when Jesus needed him, him most, here's the next flashback, come to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus' his soul is in, 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 in turmoil. And he says, stay here now, watch with me, watch and pray. And he goes to pray and says, let this cup from me pass from me, yet not my will but your will. And he comes back and with all the bravado and all the talk, Peter sleeping. What does he say now? Trust me, stay alert, stay alert, stay alert. And how often we all know when Jesus says to him and to the disciples, you know, the spirit is willing. Our flesh is very weak, isn't it? It is indeed. Watch and pray. If you turn to, uh, this is the only cross-reference, I know some have come up, but for time we haven't looked at them. Turn to Mark's Gospel and see the sequel to this, this flashback. Mark 14. Just see this. You, you have it there in verse uh, 27. Jesus predicts Peter's denial. This is the flashback. You'll all fall away. Verse 27, Mark 14. I will strike the shepherd, is a quote from the Old Testament, the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, go ahead of me into Galilee. Peter declared, verse 29. Now, this is typical. You know, I'm not sure about them, because they're not really as spiritual. They might. In fact, they probably, I won't. That sort of bravado. Now, we need to think of things he's saying now. What a contrast. The Lord says to you, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows, you twice, before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically. See his confidence, bordering on arrogance. I won't do that, but he did. Now, just stay with that for one moment. 
as we think of this flashback, look at verse 37. Then Jesus returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Do you see it? Stay alert. Don't be self-confident. Those are the comments then of, of Peter, and I think they speak for themselves. Watch, pray, stay alert. Satan, the devil, is our adversary. That's what it says here. And uh, a couple of lawyers in the church here, they will know that um, an adversary, quote, is one who accuses at court. Now, quite frankly, if the devil accuses you and I at court, we would say, I'm guilty. I know. I know that. But then you say, that's what we sang, didn't we? When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look, not inward I look. How good am I? No, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Do you see the point? The hymn writer is absolutely right. So we need to say this morning, apart from the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross, we are guilty. Apart from that. But through that we are not. We are not. So here's a question as we try to come to a conclusion. How are we to defeat the devil? We're all different and uh, one temptation for one person isn't another. Remember years ago I brought a cigar into the pulpit. It's a, it's a gift from a wedding in Spain. If you go to Spain, they give all the men a cigar with the name of the bride and the groom. I kept it. It's a, this reminds me of that lovely, happy couple. It's been there now nearly 15 years. It's no temptation to me at all. But if I really liked a Havana cigar, I'd be looking at it, and it would grow more big. Temp- not more terrible English. It could get bigger and more tantalizing. But I have other things that would challenge me. And so do you. Temptation isn't a university, the, the big thing, but in particular areas, one person's temptation is not another. I want to quote to you a poem, which is, the poetry is rubbish, but the message is good. Okay, listen to this. Probably uh, children could write this. People don't believe in the devil now as their fathers used to do. They reject one creed because it's old for another, because it's new. But, who dogs the steps of the toiling Christian? Who spreads the net for his feet? Who sows the weeds in the world's broad field where the Savior sows his wheat? They may say, and they do, that the devil has never lived. They may say that the devil is gone, but... Simple folk like you and I want to know who's carrying his business on. Why is the world in the state that it is? Why is there such inequality? Why are we faced with slave trafficking in our capital cities? Why is there such injustice? Is it just luck? Is it just how it is? If you don't, I hope if you believe your Bible, you've got to believe in the devil, haven't you? Just try to resist the devil in those areas of your lives. 
just a little while and see and test. I want to quote to you from a sermon by Latimer, who you know was martyred in, in Oxford and the Martyrs Memorial opposite the Randolph uh, Hotel in, the, in, in Oxford today. And this, you'll have to listen carefully because this sermon was preached in 1548 at St. Paul's Cathedral on the 18th of June. And this is what he says. Speaking about the devil, he says, he never gives up. He relentlessly pursues the Christian, sometimes subtly, sometimes blatantly. Then he goes on to say this. The most diligent prelate and preacher in all England. He is never out of his diocese. He is never from his cure. You shall never find him unoccupied. He is ever in his parish. He keeps resident at all times. You shall never find him out of the way. Call for him when you will. He is ever at home. He is ever at his plough. No lauding it or loitering can hinder him. He is ever applying his business. You shall never find him idle, I warrant you. And finally he says this. Oh, that our prelates would be as diligent to sow the corn of good doctrine as Satan is to sow, in these ancient words, cockle and darnel, weeds in other words. There has never been such a preacher in all England as he. He was martyred at the stake. Believing in the devil like that brings us into sharp focus. And so we hear, yeah, there he is. Why should you stay alert? Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion to bring division and fraction into our homes and marriages and families, causing people to be too arrogant and proud to say sorry when they know that they're in the wrong, causing people to cheat in their marriages or in their finance. And so the world becomes chaotic and people become more cynical. I don't know how many of you uh, manage to, I know that you folks are at work, and, uh, but Radio 4 this past week had um, C.S. Lewis, a series of uh, quotes from his uh, screw tip letters. I'll just explain this, and I want to quote uh, what uh, I heard on Monday morning. Screw tip, he's a senior devil. And in his correspondence with his eager nephew, he wants to teach him the ropes so that he can do warfare against the enemy, which is God. And so he starts like this. Let me quote you. This was on Radio 4 this past week, Book of the Week. Like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report some spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. The enemy is God. It does not matter how small the sins are, providing that the cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards. If cards can do the trick, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slopes, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Lost. 
And Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. So how do we conclude as we think about how we defeat the devil? Well, the first is to be alert. The second is to resist. And the third is to include faith. And one thing you have to give credit to Peter is this. That if you have a living faith in Jesus Christ, it will inevitably involve suffering. We have done a great injustice to people who have come to faith, as if we say, trust in Jesus. All your problems will be solved. If we were to say, really, your problems may well increase. The devil is after you. Now, it wasn't before. So look at verse 9. What does he say? Resist him, the devil, standing firm in the faith, because you know, give them credit, at least they taught that, you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And when we think of the church wider, globally, the, the, it's very humbling. And we lose sight of the church if we're so preoccupied our own local little patch, the genocide, the slaughter, the martyrs. Justin Welby was right when he spoke about the people coming out of church in Pakistan. They are martyrs. Not the people with suicide bombs. They are the murderers. So let's conclude by saying this. As we round off this book, and we've been in it quite a while, and it's this. Number one, when our faith is weak, joy strengthens us. That's a I don't know if you have favorite verses. This is certainly one of mine in chapter 1 and verse 8, where it says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though now you do not see him, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Perhaps as Anglo-Saxons, we should be a bit more charismatic, a bit more lively. We went with the McCanns to see the Soweto Choir, and there were five folk in front of us from Botswana. They could not keep still. <laughs> it was quite, and in the end, they got up and they were moving around, jiving and so on. And that's when you really feel that you're a bit stiff and starchy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. When our faith is weak, joy strengthens us. Secondly, when our good is mistreated. You're, there you are. You want to do good and somebody will criticize you. You step up to the plate and they condemn you. That's life. Church life too, may I add. When our good is mistreated, endurance stabilizes us. Look at chapter 2 and verse 19. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. God is with me here. He's more important than me. Thirdly, when our confidence is shaken, and oftentimes, you know, in life, our confidence can be shaken to its foundation. Love, love supports us. What a lovely verse, chapter 4 and verse 8 is. Above all, with all of our disagreements, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. The absence of love exposes sins. And lastly, when our adversary attacks us, resistance shields us and protects us. So back to where we started. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. We should pray for church leaders. That 
pastors and elders and deacons, and bishops and so forth, church leaders may be protected from the temptation of money, power, and sex. That not only do we want to begin well, but end well. And Peter's profile gives us a steer to all of that. Let's pray by God's grace. We are, albeit without knowing, impacting people through our humility, personally perhaps and indeed collectively.